more interest, like more user friendly than my usual classes because this was actually written for a bunch of kids. Okay, you guys ready? Here we go. Today we are going to talk about the holiday of Shavuos, Habalenu Latova, which is approaching Motzi Shabbos right after Shabbos. And what is so exciting about this Shavuos, as every Shavuos, is it comes right after the Shabbos parsha, where in America. This year, it's America and Israel are different, but we're going to be reading um, Parsha Shabbos Bereshis, Parsha's Bereish, uh, Bamidbar. We're going to be reading from the book of Bamidbar, which is the fourth book of the five books of Moses. So I'd like to try to draw a connection, which I literally just thought of this second, between Bamidbar, which means in the desert, and has to do with the book, has to do with the wanderings of the Jews in the desert, and the giving of the Torah in Mount Sinai, which took place 3,334 years ago um, on this year. Um, and we'll actually find out what day that took place, because you might be surprised when the giving of the Torah took place. Does anyone know when the giving of the Torah took place? All right, let's start over. Does everyone know what Shavuos is commemorating? What? Second what? Ah, okay. So you're you're referring you're referring to a different discussion which we talked about about the, the accepting of the Torah which took place for real, the Talmud says, on Purim. That's a different conversation. But just historically speaking, when was the Torah given? Out Mount Sinai. Does anyone know when? Does anyone know the date? So, if you open up the Talmud, the Talmud will tell you the following thing. Every day, every Shabbos, when we make Kiddush, we start Kiddush by saying Yom Hashishi, which means, and it was the sixth day. And the world was, was finished. But the Talmud says, what does it mean the sixth day? Says the Talmud, the sixth day refers to the sixth day of the month of Sivan. Right now, today is the second day in the month of Sivan. The sixth day in the month of Sivan, says the Talmud, is the day the Torah was going to be given to the Jews at Mount Sinai. And God made a condition with the world all the way back on the first sixth day, that if the Jewish people didn't accept the Torah on the next sixth day, meaning the sixth of Sivan, several, 2,000 years later, then the world would be brought back to emptiness and void. So the Talmud says the whole world is waiting from the beginning of creation until the year that the Jews accepted the Torah on Mount Sinai for the sixth day of Sivan to see if the Jewish people would accept the Torah. And if they would, the world would continue. And if not, the entire world would be brought back to emptiness and void. However, there's a major problem. And the problem is, is that there are two opinions of when the Torah was given. And according to one opinion, the Torah was not actually given on the 6th of Sivan. Stay tuned, okay? Stay tuned, we'll get back to that momentarily. Jaylene, you didn't miss anything, okay? Let's begin. 
We have some customs on Shavuos. Does anyone know the one of the customs on Shavuos? Everyone knows one of the customs of Shavuos. Cheesecake. Why do we eat cheesecake on Shavuos? And not only that, but the traditional sources say to eat milk and honey on Shavuos. Why specifically milk and honey? There's another custom, which we will not talk about tonight, which is to stay up all night on the night of Shavuos learning Torah. And that goes back to uh, a, a Talmudic teaching that the Jewish people slept the night of the giving of the Torah. But we're not getting into that one right now. Um, or perhaps we will. Let's see. Maybe we will. Actually, I think we will. All right. Third custom on Shavuos. Does anyone ever go to synagogue on Shavuos and notice something interesting? Flowers. Many communities have a custom to put flowers and specifically grass. Most people don't do the grass, but grass is what it says traditionally to do. Grass and flowers in the synagogue. Why do we do that? And the 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 answer is, is because it says in the Talmud that Mount Sinai was full of grass at the giving of the Torah. There was grass on Mount Sinai. And we want to commemorate the grass of Mount Sinai. That's like a weird thing. Why don't we make like little mountains in synagogue to commemorate Mount Sinai? Why the grass? What's the big deal with the grass and the flowers? Okay, so keep those questions in mind. The connection to Bamidbar, the book of the fourth book of the Torah, the desert, the connection to cheesecake, milk and honey specifically, why flowers and grass in this rule, and maybe why do we stay up all night on Shavuos? And finally, what day was the Torah really given? And that's a mystery that we hope to solve as we continue. Okay. And if the Torah wasn't given on the 6th of Sivan, so what are we celebrating? Okay. But we'll find out. So now we're going to deviate to my class that I gave last year at 3 a.m. in the morning to a bunch of eight-year-olds. It was, you can imagine how hard it would be to teach Torah to a bunch of eight-year-olds, even if it was a no, three o'clock in the afternoon. But you can imagine all the more so how difficult it was at three in the morning. These were eight-year-olds who stayed up all night last Shavuos. So um, thank God they did not ask me to do it again this year because <laughs> I would have said no. But because of that experience, I came up with a, with a class that I think is very good, and uh, I'll share that with you, and hopefully we'll tie this into answering the questions. Okay? Who here likes superheroes? Anyone? Who's your favorite superhero? Thor. The actor or the comic book character? The actor. Be honest. Yeah. All right. It's, he's good. He's good. Who else? Jaylen, who do you got? Nobody? Favorite? Love it. Love the concept and the idea. Jacob, you have a favorite? Wow. Okay, I'm a Wolverine guy. What can I do? I like him. He's great. Ninja Turtles. All right. That's oldie but goodie. Um, they had to bring those back. Um, I think that yeah, and I also like, um, yeah, I think Thor is very cool also. Definitely. All right. Um, so, um, right. So what's so special about super superheroes? There is every culture has an uh, almost like a worship of mythical heroes or warriors 
or or leaders. There's there's a there's an in this in the psyche in the collective unconscious, as Jung called it, there is a drive to connect to those who are greater than us. Right? That's simply put, what it is. It's hero worship. We all have it. So in our society, who are the superheroes that people worship? It ain't politicians. Celebrities, athletes, movie stars, musicians, right? And of course, Marvel comic books, right? We all, those are also heroes that people worship or Harry Potter. In the Torah world, who do we worship? Does anyone know? Not in this, that real word of worship, hopefully. Although sometimes it could border on that, that would be bad. Is our leaders. The Gedolim, the, the great Torah leaders, whether it's of yore, the Baal Shem Tov, which Hasidim have custom to say stories of the Baal Shem Tov every Shabbos. And these are magical, mystical stories of people performing miracles and reviving the dead and combating uh, sorcerers and witches and werewolves, right? All those stories exist about the Baal Shem Tov and other mythical uh great heroes in our in our past who weren't just mythical they were real people who did really amazing things uh current rebbies like the Lubavitcher rebbe of chabad countless stories of miracles that he that people firsthand experienced with him and i've heard several myself from people who were really there the guy who couldn't have kids and he went to Lubavitcher rebbe and asked for a bracha and the rebbe gave him a dollar and then the rebbe called him back and he gave him another dollar and the rebbe called him back and he gave him a third dollar and the guy had triplets yeah, true story. I heard it from the guy that it happened to. All right, another. You want to hear another great Lubavitcher every story? Um, somebody, a great rabbi from Israel, Rabbi Grossman, who was one of my personal heroes. I tried very hard to meet with him when we were in Israel. It didn't happen. Hopefully, on the next trip, he uh, he's a, a legend. He's known as the Disco Rabbi. He's a Hasidic rabbi who moved to a secular town, and he inspired the entire town to keep Shabbos. The entire town. Now it's unbelievable. He used to go to a disco, discos and restaurants every Friday night, and he would just start praying in the middle of the restaurant or the bar, and uh, people would just join him. <laughs> it was like that's every single Friday night he went to a different shul and then a store, and the next week that store would close on Shabbos. So amazing. So he's a he's a hero. So one time his daughter had a terrible eye infection. And he, she, she, he went to speak to a big optometrist, and the optometrist said she must come to America right now. I need to see her. I can't. It sounds really bad, but I can't help you without seeing her. So his, his daughter flew to America. She, they went straight from the airport to the optometrist, and um, he looked at her. He did a bunch of studies, and he said it looks really bad, um, but I'll have to get back to you with the actual prognosis in a couple of days. So then she, he said to his daughter, where would you like to go? And the first thing she said, I want to go to Lubavitcher Rebbe to get a blessing. So they drove straight to Crown Heights and they waited for the Rebbe to come out of shul or to go into shul, whatever it was. And he walks past everyone and, and the rabbi jumped in front of the Rebbe and he, and he pointed to his daughter and the Rebbe saw the daughter and he saw her eye. And the Rebbe said to him on the spot, check her mezuzah. Everything will be fine. And so he right away called home. He called his wife in Israel, checked the mezuzah on the daughter's door. She took off the mezuzah. She brought it to a scribe, to a sofa. He looked at it, and the words, Bain Necha, between your eyes, was missing. 
They got it fixed, put the mezuzah back on. Two days later, the doctor called them back. They went to the doctor and he said, it's really, really serious. She needs an operation. The doctor looked at her and he said, is this the same girl that was here two days ago? He said, yeah. He's like, she's completely better. <laughs> completely better. Okay. And the, the, the postscript of that story was several years later, Rabbi Grossman was back in America and some guy comes up to him in a synagogue and he says, remember me? And the rabbi says, no. And he says, I'm the doctor. He said, I was, I was not religious at the time, but that story blew my mind. I ended up becoming a complete religious Jew because of that story. <laughs> that was a miracle, <laughs> open miracle. Okay, so we have our own heroes. And by the way, we have lots of heroes today. Rav Chaim Chenevsky, who just passed away, who his life was one of the most, I mean, he, he outright has insane stories. Also, again, similar stories of him just telling people things that changed their life, saved their life. And uh, he was a man who never stopped learning Torah. He never went to medical school. He never left Israel. He never really did anything except for learning Torah. And he would, he, there are so, so many insane stories that came out after he passed away. Um, just amazing, amazing stories. So we, those are our heroes. So what's the, how does it work that a tzaddik, a righteous person, has the power to literally change nature? They, they literally have, like, I'm, I'll tell you a story right here in Baltimore, okay? My rabbi told me this story, that uh, there's a great rabbi here in Baltimore by the name of Moshe Heineman. He's the leader of the Star K, Kashrus, kosher organization. He is an amazing, amazing person. Besides being one of the greatest rabbis in America, he also uh, is a mechanic. He fixes his own cars. He knows how to design kosher. The Starkeg gives kosher um, refrigerators and ovens that can be used on Shabbos in different scenarios. And he knows how to hotwire everything. He also, he's, he's just an amazing person. He built a mikvah. He, he just, he's, he's very talented in all, all ways. Um, there was a person in town who had a parent who was on uh, life support. And the doctors basically said that he was brain dead. The father was brain dead. And they said, we do not recommend continuing the life support. And in Jewish law, it's not so simple to unplug someone from life support. But there are various scenarios and circumstances. And the person came to the rabbi, to my rabbi, and he said, the doctor said, my father's on life support. The rest of the family want to pull the plug. What do I do? And so the uh, my rav went to rav heineman to speak over the, the story and he said to rav heineman there's a man who's on life support what what should the family do and rav heineman turned to him and he said he's not brain dead and so my rabbi said to him no i think the rabbi misunderstood he's brain dead i could show you i could show you the numbers here he's absolutely brain dead and the, rav heineman turned to him and he said i told you he's not brain dead so my rabbi's like uh, okay, uh, so therefore, he said, he's not brain dead. The family should continue to treat him and he'll get better. So he's like, okay, what do I do? So he, told, he called up the guy and he said, I just spoke to the biggest rabbi in Baltimore and he said he's not brain dead. So just don't do anything. <laughs> and a few days later, the guy came back, complete recovery. Okay, so how does it work? There are two possibilities here. One is something called Ruach HaKodesh, which means perhaps the rabbis have a divine spirit. It's not prophecy, but they have a taste of prophecy. They have divine inspiration. They can tell maybe that something's going to change in the future. Maybe the guy's not really brain dead. Maybe the Rebavitch Rebbe just felt 
that you know that's what it was but there's another idea and that's that righteous people have the ability to actually change nature how does that work that's what we want to talk about how can you actually change nature and the orachim the great kabbalist from morocco who i quote a lot says that when a person taps into the power of torah they actually have the ability to split seas to stop the sun to move mountains to literally alter nature when a person connects to the power of the torah they become supernatural so how do you become a superhero okay you guys ready let's go i believe there are three now this is this is just a side point we'll get back to the power of torah but there are three qualities that make someone a superhero okay think about any hero harry potter um Lubavitcher Rebbe, Iron Man. Think about, you name it, your superhero. There are three things that make them a superhero, okay? Anyone want to take a guess? What does every superhero have in common? Ah, every superhero has a strength or ability to do something. It might not be supernatural. It could be Batman or Iron Man who's really smart. Right, but they key number one is know your superpower. That means your unique talents. Every single human being was born with unique talents. If you tap in to your unique talents, unbelievable, amazing guess. Long time no see. If you tap into your unique talents. You are a superhero. Okay, so it's key number one. The Torah teaches us that each and every person came into this world for a unique purpose that only you can do. And no one before you in the history of time and no one after you in the future will ever be able to do what you can do. So we each have something unique to bring to the world. The Ger Rebbe said that every human being is the greatest person in the world in one thing. Everyone is the greatest person in the world in their unique thing. How awesome is that? Okay, the Lubavitcher Rebbe and some say Rebbe Nachman were famous at having said that your birthday, the greatest day. Why? Because your birthday is the day that God said the universe cannot exist without you. You get that? And I add on to that and I say every day you wake up is a day that God said the world cannot exist without you. Every morning. You should be thankful. First thought when in, Ju in Judaism, when you wake up in the morning, is to say, Moda'ani, thank you. Because every single day you wake up without a tag on your toe means you are needed in this world. The world cannot exist without you. So we believe that the Torah can teach us who we are, to teach us how to utilize our unique talents to bring out the best, not only in ourselves, but in the world. Because we're not in this world just to use our talents we're in this world to use our talents to make the world a better place and to reveal god in the world okay so let's take an example of the tribe of levi my tribe their job in the torah in this week's parsha is to serve god through singing through music serve god through art Serve God through your organizational abilities. Serve God with your talent, with your smile, with your strength, with your acts of charity, with your caring and compassion. 
your creativity. We all have something that we can do to make the world a better place. Okay. Number two, what does every superhero have? In addition to knowing their superpowers, what else does every superhero have in common? They want to help people. What does that mean? They have clarity of mission. They have a mission in this world. They know their mission statement. They know with clarity their values, their purpose in life. Okay, so again, Judaism makes it very clear. We're here for a reason. We are each brought into this world not only to share our talents, but also to do something. We have a unique purpose in this world as a nation, as a human race, and as individuals. We each have a mission and a, and a purpose with, for which we are created. Part of that involves revealing our talents. Another involves fixing something in our personality. We all have something wrong with us, all of us, that makes us human, not flawed. We all have flaws. That's what makes us human. We have to fix our flaws. We have to learn to figure out what that root flaw is, whether it's jealousy, insecurity, anger, laziness, like lust, right? We all have something. If we can tap into that thing so we can transform ourselves and to transform the world, to make the world a better place. God put us in the world to perfect ourselves and perfect the world. To Judaism says clearly that there's a purpose for life for all of us. And that's to develop the greatest possible relationship with God, which gives us the, the chance for the ultimate pleasure in life, which is connection to the source, connection to the infinite. Okay? To reveal God in the world through building a dwelling place for him in the darkest places, by connecting to spirituality through the physical, by learning right from wrong, by overcoming our drive towards selfishness and immediate pleasure thinking about others, fighting good, uh, fighting evil, pursuing good, fighting evil within and evil without, standing up against injustice, all right? These are all some of the things that Judaism teaches are our purpose, and we could discuss that more in a unique class devoted to that. There are essentially three different approaches in Jewish sources towards what the meaning of life is, but suffice it to say, we have one, okay? Number three, what else does every superhero have? Every superhero. <laughs> they do. That's, that's a good point. Shucks. They do have a costume. That's good. Uh, I didn't put that on my list, though. But that's good. That's a good one. Yes, we all, we all should get a costume <laughs> and wear it with pride. Every superhero, think about think about Batman, think about Spider-Man. Think about Wolverine. They all have something unique about their life. They all have a backstory. Right? Am I right? Every superhero had personal struggles in their life. They all had personal struggles that they overcame hardship and through that hardship brought out their superpowers. Through that hardship brought out their mission in life. You see, this is really the linchpin that makes the superhero. It's not having the talents and having the mission. It's overcoming the hardship that reveals the talents and the mission. That's what makes you a superhero. It's through overcoming the challenges, right? What makes a person great? What's the difference between a success and a failure in life? 
people think when they fail, that makes them a failure. That's wrong. What, what does it make you if you fail? Makes you human. So what's the difference between a success and a failure? The success gets up again, learns from their mistakes, makes amends, and grows from the error and doesn't define themselves by their failure. The failure is the person that fails and then thinks, I'm a failure. That's the difference. There are no failures in life. There are only stepping stones and learning opportunities. This is the most important key to unlocking your superpower. What's more important in life? Talent or hard work? What do you say? Hard work. That's interesting. If you don't work hard, you might never actually reveal the talent. But we have to be honest. To some people, things come easily. Most of my life, I was raised being told that talent is everything. And a lot of us think that, I think, that we think that there are certain people who are born talented musicians, who are born talented athletes. 90% of Canadian professional hockey players were born in the month of January or February. Anyone hear this? ever hear this statistic? Do you remember why? 90%. Why are all Canadian hockey players born in January or February? So what do you think? A lot of people, times people think because maybe they're born in the winter, so they're more into winter sports, right? That's all they have in Canada. Everyone's into winter sports. What what what's unique about January and February for Canadian hockey? What do you mean? Oh, the cutoff date for school happens to be right then. So their January and February is the oldest in their grade, and therefore at a certain age that makes a big difference, right? The difference between an eight-year-old and a seven-year-old, or like a thirteen-year-old and a twelve-year-old, is massive. And because of that slight benefit, they do really well that year. And because they do really well, why does that cause them to change the whole trajectory of their life? Because they feel really good about themselves. It boosts their self-esteem. The things that you're good at, you do more of. And then the coach pays more attention to them and boosts themselves again, gives them more opportunities. So because of that coincidence, their whole life trajectory has changed. Studies show that 10,000 hours of practice in any field will make you one of the best in the world. You want to devote 10,000 hours to anything. Now, if I would devote 10,000 hours to basketball, I would still not make it into the professional league, NBA, right? Because my skin color is wrong and my height is wrong. It's just not going to happen. But if I wanted to become a musician, if I wanted to become an, an artist, an actor, I could. I probably could. Talent gets you in the door talent gets you started when it's easy at the beginning makes you keep going that's why natural talent is only that which is only the impetus to get the ball rolling but to become great means what you do do with your talent and that has to do with the hard work that you put in right when the tough when the going gets tough tough get going talent gets you through the door hard work keeps you there there is no such thing as greatness without effort. Thomas Edison. I don't know if these are real quotes, but I hope they are. 
Thomas Edison is famously quoted as saying, our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always to try just one more time. And he said, there's no substitute for hard work. How many times did Edison fail before discovering electricity? I don't know. They say a lot, right? A lot. He said, I, ha I haven't failed. I just found 10,000 ways not to produce electricity. Every failure was just another opportunity to learn what doesn't work, which means you're one step closer. Many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Okay? This is just some good stuff to put in our back pocket. Michael Jordan. Ever heard of him? He was big when I was a kid. Kicked off of the high school basketball team. Because he was only 5'11", too short to play in the major leagues. I guess I could be an NBA star after all. <laughs> Babe Ruth. Although he started well, his game went down for a decade. He held the record for most strikeouts. 1,330. Famously as quoted, having said, Every strike brings me closer to the next home run. And when he finally hit it, he never stopped hitting it. He said, I've missed over 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game's winning shot, and I missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Good quote, right? What makes a great baseball player? What's a good, what's a good, um, I forget even what you call it. What do you call the thing, this thing at the end of the baseball card that tells you what your score is? Hits per whatever. Like 324 is like a good score. That means that nine out of, like seven out of 10 shots he misses and he's still considered one of the best players in the league, right? So we got to keep things in perspective. Okay, as the Talmud says, Sheva Yipul Tzadik Vakum, seven times, it's actually from, from the book of Proverbs from King Solomon, seven times a righteous person falls and gets up again. So one of the great rabbis of the previous generation, Rav Kutner, said that most people think this means that he's righteous because he gets up again after those seven times that he falls. He still got up again. That's why he's righteous. He says, no, that's wrong. He's righteous because he fell seven times. That's what made him righteous. And he got up again. Because <laughs> the falls don't help if we don't get up again. Okay. So let's go back to our questions. Okay. We, let's, let's learn a little bit about Shavuos and what took place on that day. The Talmud says that Moshe went up to receive the Torah on Mount Sinai. And the angels started flipping out. And they said, what are you doing up here? What's a human being doing up here in the heavenly realm? And God says, he came to get the Torah. And the angel says, the Torah? What are you going to do? What's he going to do with the Torah? You can't give him the Torah. We want it up here. And so God says to Moshe, answer for yourself. And it says that Moshe is scared. He says, I'm afraid to talk to them. They're going to burn me up with their fiery breath. And so God says, hold on to my throne, to my 
to my divine throne and and speak. So it says that Moshe grabbed on to the Kisei covered to the to the throne of glory, and he started to answer. And he said to the angels, "What's in the Torah?" And the angels say, "Keep Shabbos." And Moshe says, "Do you work that you need to keep Shabbos?" And he says, what else is in it? They say, honor your mother and your father. He says, do you have a mother and a father? He says, what else is in it? They say, remember the Exodus from Egypt. He says, were you slaves in Egypt? What, is, what else is in it? Don't eat milk and meat. Do, do you eat? Don't worship idols. Do you, do, you, do you have idols up there? Possessions, marriage. They can't answer him. And the angels agree that human beings should get the Torah. Okay, that's what the Talmud says. Does anyone have any questions on this interesting Talmudic story? Anything problematic with this story? Guys, put on your Talmudic hats here. What what did the angels want? They wanted the Torah for themselves. Why did they want the Torah for themselves? Sacred, but do you think they knew what was in it? Yes, but then Moshe asked them pretty obvious questions, right? They couldn't answer. So what were the angels thinking? Did they think they could do all the things it says in the Torah? Seems pretty tough right how could you keep the torah if you don't have a body because most of the torah is actions so the commentaries explain that the angels were really not speaking about the mitzvahs of the torah they knew that they couldn't keep the mitzvahs what they were speaking about was the essence of the torah which is spiritual secrets of how to create the universe the zohar says and it's repeated in in the talmud that god looked into the torah and created the world that the torah is not a book about creation it's actually the blueprint of creation that we get the lowest level of the torah we get stories and laws that's written letters on parchment but the real torah is black fire written on white fire it's literally the entire torah is names of god the entire Torah is a recipe book for how to create a universe. It's a direct connection to the deepest mind of God. That's what the real Torah is. The spiritual Torah is literally the keys to unlock the greatest power in the universe. And therefore, if a person really learns Torah, they learn how to unlock the powers of nature. So essentially, so then why does man get that? <laughs> That's pretty problematic. One second, what do we need it for? So there's a great story. It's a great story that's quoted in the Teferis Yisrael, who's one of the commentaries on the Mishnah. And there are different sources for this story. Some say that it really was not originally a Jewish story. Some say it was actually a story about Aristotle or Plato or a Muslim story. 
not clear exactly where the story comes from, but I'll share it with you because it is brought down in a, in a holy commentary as a Jewish story that when Moshe was out Mount Sinai, there was a king who heard about the Jewish people and he wanted to know who this Moses was all about. So he hired one of his wise men who was a face reader. And this wise man had the ability by looking at a person's face to know everything about them, about their nature and who they are. And he sent an artist to go to the desert to paint a perfect replica of Moshe to bring it back to his wise man to decipher the face. And the artist came back and he showed him the picture of Moshe and the wise man looked at it and he comes to the king and he said, this man is a murderer, a rapist, the worst person in society. And the king said, this can't be. And he sent another artist. He cut off that artist's head and he sent another artist. And the other artist came back with a picture of Moshe. And again, the wise man said the same thing. The king said, this is crazy. Let's go. He took his wise man and they went to look at Moshe. And it was exactly the same as the painting. So they went and they had an audience with Moshe. And he said, Moshe, this is what my, my, my sage said. Should I have his head cut off? And Moshe said, no, he's right. That's the way I was born. I was born with all the worst character traits possible. I was drawn, born with a, with, a, with a leaning towards murder and anger and all sorts of debauchery. That was my nature. So he said, how did you come to become the holiest man in the world? Because I, I worked on myself. I changed myself. Whether or not the story is true, the message is certainly true. What makes us great? Is it our natural talents? Or is it what we do with our natural flaws? Greatness does not lie in what we're good at. Greatness lies in what we do with what we're not good at. I always tell my kids that the best, most important grade on the report card is the worst grade. Because that shows you where you have to improve. And that's what matters in life. What's the definition of a righteous person? Are you able to tell who's righteous in this world? Are you able to tell who a tzaddik is by how much they pray or how much they do acts of kindness or how much they study Torah? The answer is you have no idea how righteous someone is. You can know how good their actions are, but that's not what makes someone into a tzaddik. What makes someone into a tzaddik is how much resistance they have on the other end of those actions. You can be up here on the scale of good deeds and be on the same page in God's book as someone who is down here because it doesn't have to do with how high you are on the ladder. It has to do on how far you've come up the ladder, how much resistance you have pushing you down from the ladder. God judges us with affirmative action. It's clear. We are judged completely according to our life scenarios and our challenges and what we do in the face of those challenges. The Talmud says, what's the difference between someone who serves God and someone who doesn't? Says the Talmud, someone who learns the, their Torah learning 101 times. What does that mean? So the, the Tanya explains, because 
it was normal back then to learn Talmud, your Talmud learning a hundred times. So who's the person who's serving God? The person who goes one step above that, above and beyond what's normal and what's natural. The definition of greatness is breaking your nature, changing your nature, transforming your nature. How do you become supernatural? By living supernaturally by transforming your own nature. If you transform your nature, you'll have the power to change this nature. So let's go back to our first question. What are we celebrating on Shavuos? So we said the Talmud says that the whole universe was waiting for the sixth day of Sivan for the Jewish people to accept the Torah. There's only one problem. There are two opinions of the Talmud of when the Torah was received. And the opinion that we conclusively agree with is the opinion that the Talmud, that the Torah was not received on the 6th of Sivan. It was actually received on the 7th of Sivan. But for the past 3,333 years, we've been celebrating the 6th day of Sivan as Shavuos. Why? What are we celebrating? What took place on the sixth day of Sivan? So the commentaries explain that, and the Talmud actually says this, that Mo, the Torah was ready to be given on the sixth day of Sivan, but Moshe pushed it off. Talmud says, Moshe was hosif yom echad medaitiv. He added another day all by himself. God didn't tell him to do that. The Jewish people arrived at Mount Sinai. They counted 49 days of the Omer. They left Egypt. They went to the desert. They arrive at Mount Sinai. They have three days of separation. They're ready. They're purified. They're waiting for the Torah. And Moshe says, one more day, God. We need one more day. So then what took place on the sixth day of Sivan? Says one of the greatest rabbis of the past few hundred years, the base Halevi, or of Chaim Soloveitchik, says that on the sixth day of Sivan, Moshe received the Torah. What does that mean? On the sixth day of Sivan, Moshe got the spiritual power of the Torah. He received the keys to the universe. He received the ability to be partner with God in creation. And do you know what he did with that power? He altered the course of history and pushed off this moment the entire world was waiting for one more day because that's what a person do, can do with the torah is they can literally change history they can change nature so we aren't celebrating the ten commandments on shavuos the ten commands were given on the seventh day of sivan in if you live outside the land of israel we'll be celebrating that day on monday but what are we celebrating we're celebrating the spiritual power of the torah not the Torah itself, that was given on the tenth of the seventh of Sivan, but on the sixth of Sivan was given the spiritual power to change ourselves and therefore become partners with God in changing the world. Our job is to transform ourselves and the world into a spiritual place. In this week's Torah portion, we start the book of Bamidbar, which means in the desert. And it talks about the journeys of the Jewish people in the desert. And this week's Parsha always falls out right before Shavuos. Why? 
because Shavuos is all about taking the desert and transforming it into an oasis. What did we say is the custom in synagogues on Shavuos? To fill the shul with flowers and grass. Why? As a remembrance of Mount Sinai. But <laughs> Mount Sinai, why not just bring mountains into the synagogue? Because, one second, where was Mount Sinai? Does anyone know? In the desert. In the Sinai desert of Egypt. Flowers and grasses in the desert? The answer is, is that Mount Sinai became lush because that is the mission of the Torah is for us to turn the desert into a land flowing with milk and honey to bring out the potential within us we are all deserts we're born deserts we are all born imperfect and not fit for human consumption we are not born as a habit as a habitable space we have to transform ourselves into a person that can live with other people, into a person who can bring benefits to the world as opposed to a desert which is desolate and empty and bare. Why do we eat milk and honey on Shavuos? Cheesecake. Back to cheesecake. It's all about the cheesecake, guys. At the end of the day, it's all about cheesecake. There's something very unique about milk and honey. Think. Think very hard. Let me ask you a question. Can you drink Pig's milk? Can't drink pig's milk. Why not? Not a kosher animal. Normally something that comes from a non-kosher animal isn't kosher. Can you rip a limb off of a cow and eat it? Can't do that. Can't, can't eat limbs off of living animals. They have certain tribes in the Sahara Desert who stick straws into goats and they drink the blood. Can't do that. So what's unique about milk and honey? These aren't kosher. There are two foods that we eat that come from non-kosher animals. Do you know what they are? One of them you just guessed. Honey. What's the other one? Think about it. Milk. Close. Well, milk is unique because it comes from a living animal. And that also is not something normally that we're allowed to do, right? You can't rip a limb off an animal. You can't stick a straw into an animal and drink the blood. We don't eat blood anyway. But just so milk is unique that it comes from a living animal and also would not be permitted had the Torah not allowed it. But there's another type of milk that comes from a non-kosher animal, which we eat. Human milk! Mother's milk. And yet, it is the life source of everything. Right? Mother's milk is the most purest, most nourishing food. So we eat milk and honey because these are two foods that come from a non-kosher animal, and yet, they become kosher. And that's the mission of the Torah is to take the non-kosher substances of this world, to take the impure and make it pure, to turn this world into a paradise in the darkest places. It says in Psalms, Hashemayim Shemayim Lashem Va'aris Nasan Adam. The heaven is heaven to God, 
and the world God gave to man. And the Kutzka Rebbe says, why does it say the heaven is heaven to God? Just say the heaven is God's. Why does it say the heaven is heaven to God? Says the Kutzka Rebbe, the heaven, Shemayim, is heaven for God. And the world God gave to us to turn into Shemayim, to make this world into a paradise. Our job is to make the desert blossom, to take the spiritual wasteland, to work it and to convert it into the most valuable resources which we have. And by changing ourselves and bringing out our latent spiritual potential, by bringing out our unique talents, by overcoming hardships, by finding our mission and our unique purpose in life, we can literally overcome our nature and become supernatural. And that is the secret to having a superhero life. Wishing you all a beautiful, beautiful Shavuos and a beautiful life. Questions, comments? Guys, 